Well, I got to meet your pastor a couple of weeks ago, and he, uh, what a card. He is fun, and he is smart, and he is energetic, and, but I walked away saying, that guy is, is a card, and uh, trying to plan to preach today, that just epitomizes uh, the guy I met a couple of weeks ago, so uh, but bless his heart. My dad's having the same thing in a couple of weeks, or a couple of months, and so... Uh, He's done it before, he's doing it again, so I understand what your pastor's going through. Um, Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I appreciate the invitation to come. Maybe I can fill one of his shoes uh, while he's gone. And um, You know, this is Father's Day, and there's a verse that struck me one time. I was uh, planning on walking my boys through Proverbs uh, uh, as a family. And I got to, I'm forgetting now, I believe it's Proverbs 23, 26, 23, something like that. But it was a verse that said this. My son, give me your heart. You know Proverbs is a book, um, a father to his son. Uh, It's a parenting book. And um, he said, my son, give me your heart. Trust me when I say this to you. My son, give me your heart. Trust me. Take delight in my ways. Now think about that statement. Don't start your clocks yet. This is not the Bible study. Think about that for a second. And I, I'm thinking about that this morning. Um, music folks, thank you for what you did just now. That, that warmed my heart. Uh, that prepared me as... It should, and uh, what a wonderful time singing. I just thought of that. I wanted to say that out loud because I feel God here, and and, and it's a great thing to sing together like that. Um, And it got me thinking about this verse on Father's Day. Give me your heart. Delight in my ways. Men, do you feel the weight of that verse? Do you hear what he's saying to us? I'm asking, he's asking, his son to look at his life and walk ye in it. You see that? Paul said that, didn't he? Be imitators of me, follow me as I follow Christ. That the weight of that is stunning. When I think about that God has asked my boys to look at me. And so with that in mind, you know. What are we going to do this morning? You don't know me. I don't know you yet. Had a wonderful time at 845 over across the street. Great time over there. Here's what you need to know about me. When I think on Father's Day about that verse and asking my sons to look at me and therefore I will interpret life for you. You get that? Delight in my ways. What you see in me, take delight in that. It's okay. Do what I do. That's why I'm consumed with this book. I don't know anything else to bring to you this morning as a stranger walking in off the street from Canton, Georgia. All I know is to give you God's Word. That's all I know. That's all I have. So that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do on Father's Day is we're going to look at the Word of God and see if Paul can just help us live our lives. So if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 5, let's read this passage together. see if we can pull something out of here that 
that will allow us to say to our kids, look at us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, follow as I read. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because these days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, that's just dissipation. That's a waste. But instead, be being continually, moment by moment, filled with the Holy Spirit. And your life will reflect some of these things. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let me ask you a couple of questions to sort of warm us up to this passage. If it helps, think along these lines. Do you feel like you're thriving in your walk with God? As we're trying to catch up with Paul in the middle of a book, what's he trying to do? Well, let's ask this question, and it will help you warm up to what he's doing. Do you feel like you're thriving in your walk with God? Are you satisfied where you are? If not, Paul has a suggestion that may work for you when he asks this question, when he presents this in our paragraph here, really in the entire book. Are you embracing the entirety of your faith? Are you embracing the totality of the Christian life, of the calling of God? That's what he's working on uh, with us in this paragraph. He wants to talk about the idea of embracing the entirety of your faith. He's bringing up an idea that may be new to you. It was helpful to me when it was phrased to me this way. Are you living as a practical atheist? He's addressing Christians, but he's bringing up a concept of practical atheism. So that's what he's working on in this paragraph. Here's another question to help us warm up. Do you feel like you're spending your Christian life in a wise way? The word wisdom is there. Do you feel like you are spending your life wisely? Let's put it another way, this question. Do you feel like you're wasting your life? Do you think perhaps you may be wasting your life? Paul brings us to that thought in this paragraph right here. Akin to that as I think about we're living in a day. He says these are evil days. We're living in an evil day. The world's always been evil. We've always been sinners in the world. We're sinners. We misbehave. But there's, if I would characterize what we're experiencing right now as a body of Christ, we're living in an angry America. I don't know if you feel that, if you put it in those terms, but I feel like we're mad. I feel like we're just ticked off as a, as a culture. And my question is, is that atmosphere where it feels like a mob is ready to form for a lynching at the drop of a hat? Does everybody understand? Can you nod? Does that make sense to you? It feels like people are ready to gang up and take someone to a tree and hang them. The days are evil. 
This is the context that Paul is bringing this. The, the reason we're talking about this, Paul says, is because these days are evil. Paul even characterized the end times as men will be lovers of self. I don't know about you, but I feel like the time of Christ is so, so near. The politics internationally being what they are, it feels like the time of Christ is really right. But, and Paul characterized the world at that day and time. Men have always been selfish, but he says there's something about that time that men are especially selfish. The days are evil. So my question to warm us up to this passage, what impact is that volatile atmosphere that we're living in, what impact is that having on the way Christians live? the way I'm living? Is it having an impact? Is it marginalizing me? Is it putting me back in a corner? Is it causing me to sort of be tempted to sort of just blend in as they want, tone it down a little bit? Don't say that out loud. This is not the place for religion. You see? That line of thinking helps me and hopefully it helps you warm up to what Paul is trying to say here in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, verse 15. What's the context? What is Paul working on? Paul is, tells us, if I can give you a, just a splash of what's going on in the book of Ephesians real fast. Paul is, tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, I have been given a special message. I have been told to reveal something that's never been revealed to, before. It's a mystery. It's a mystery that God has, is inventing Something called the body of Christ. Never happened before. It's unique. He is taking people and He is saving them. The race is irrelevant. Jew or Gentile, chapter 2 says, it's not relevant anymore. He's creating one unique man to put into one unique animal called the, the church. The body of Christ. He calls it the kingdom of God, the family of God. He even calls us as individuals and as a as a corporate entity, even local churches should see themselves as a temple of God, a place where God dwells. Paul says, I've been tasked to bring that to light. No one's ever heard that before. That's what I'm supposed to do. And so he goes in chapter 1, as he begins the letter, he says, God has planned in eternity past what he was going to do with this thing called salvation, saving people, forgiving them. The whole plan of salvation was planned in eternity past and he lays it out in chapter 1. And he says God is in fully committed and has invested every resource you and I need to be whatever he's asking us to do in any evil age, he's invested that in you. He is committed to you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. It's the first thing out of the gate that he wants to say. Every spiritual blessing resource found in heaven has already been given to you the instant you are saved. It's in seed form in a lot of ways, but it's there. You have what you need to be what God asks you to be in any evil age. God is committed to you when He saves you. And He's packed us into this church. Then He prays a prayer at the end of chapter 1 saying, I want you to really understand what I'm talking about. Chapter 2, He says, this is how it happened in time. One by one, this is how we got saved. You were dead, and by His mercy He came, and you were born again. John 3.16. The conversation 
with Nicodemus. You must be born again. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. It doesn't matter what race you're from, end of chapter 2, we've already covered that. Paul tells us, so I've been commissioned to do this, to unveil this to you. And he prays another prayer. I pray that you will get it, that you will really get it. Strengthen in the inner man by his spirit so that Jesus is, can dwell, be at home in every room in your house. You see, is that, you know what I'm saying? There's no doors locked. You let him everywhere, that he is fully at home. Christ can dwell in your home, that you can experience all the fullness of God. He goes on and on in that prayer in chapter 3. And he ends like he started. Chapter 1, verse 3 is like a praise to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has given us every resource that heaven has to offer. It came with our package of salvation. He ends with a praise in chapter 3, verse 20, if you want to look at it. Now to him who is able to do far more than I could ever pray, that you could ever imagine, he's to him who can do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, to him, now look, look at Ephesians 3.21, to him be glory in the church. See, what Paul is doing in Ephesians is he says, I've been called to tell you that the church has been invented, a body of Christ with a purpose. Chapter 1, for his glory, he saved you. You can see that in chapter 1. Chapter 2, he says, We were created in Christ Jesus as his masterpiece for good works that we would do what? Remember that? Walk in them. And these were works, a lifestyle that was planned beforehand. Ephesians 2.10. So what Paul is doing is he's saying there's this thing God created. He saved you with a purpose to bring glory to Him as an individual, as a local church, as the universal church. We were created to bring glory to Him. Salvation at its root is the glorification of God and the conversion of a sinner. You see? And there's a lifestyle that goes with that. Back up to Ephesians 3.10. You need to see this because I'm going to repeat it over and over again. Ephesians 3.10. But he goes a little further with the purpose. Again, we're trying to lay the context of how we end up in chapter 5, 15. We're saved with a purpose to glorify God. And the church was invented with one thing in mind, to live a lifestyle, but he says it differently in chapter 3, verse 10. What does he say? That the manifold wisdom of God, that's everything he has said thus far, everything he has said thus far in the first three chapters, that the manifold wisdom of God, the whole plan of salvation, the whole revelation of who God is, who Jesus is, everything, Genesis to Revelation, that the manifold wisdom of God is now, with the creation of this church, to be made known through the church. That the manifold wisdom, this is your purpose. Young people, you're looking, God, what is your purpose for me? That's, a, that's a, a thought that hangs over you for a long time when you're young. 
Your purpose is to bring glory to God, to make much of Him, to draw people's attention to Him, to let people see who He is and what He's about, that He is central. That the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. In the Old Testament, Israel. Now the church. You see? And then verse 21. To Him be glory in that church. In this church. You were created with a purpose to live a lifestyle that makes much of God. Therefore, verse 1 of chapter 4, look at it. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. What in the world does that mean? Walk in a manner that is equal to to the magnitude of what it means to be a church member, a member of the body of Christ, a child of God. Walk in a manner that's worthy of that. Live up to the level of what you are. I love that song, Yes I Am. I mean, that's the attitude that, that is depicted when we walk out this door and we engage life and engage our community Yes, I am a child of God. You see? Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of that. What do you mean? Well, let's look at it. Verse 2, with all humility. The root of all virtue stems out of humility. Everything God wants out of you, it starts there. Okay? Practical living. What Paul says is, the, the, the grand realities of being a Christian and a son and daughter of God ought to be played out in everyday life. Ought to be reflected in the basic behaviors of Monday morning. You see? The basic attitudes, thoughts, reflexes, motives. So be humble. Walk with humility. I think the idea of unity is woven together with humility through verse 16. Verse 17 says the second time you see the word walk, or at least third really, after 2.10, 4.1 says walk in a manner worthy. What do you mean with humility? Chapter 4, verse 17, walk no longer like the Gentiles walk. That's just an idiom for, for unbelieving world. We're different. The Christian life is that, Christian, Christ-like, you see? That's why we're called Christians. We're little Christ is what that means. We don't walk the old way. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What do you mean, Paul? Look at chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love. The kind of love that Jesus showed on the cross, the ultimate form of love, sacrificial love. What do you mean, Paul, walk in a manner worthy of God? Well, chapter 5, verse 8. Your light, you are the light of the world, Jesus said, walk like it. The context there is about immorality, understanding and, and living moral lives. He talks about impurity and filthy talk and so forth, stuff you can't even talk about in public, Paul says. Verses 3 through 14. 
walk in a manner that's up to the standards, the level of what it means to be a Christian. You see? The story is told of Alexander the Great was mustering his troops one time. I don't remember it that well, but I do remember the, the gist of it. And he's mustering his troops. He's sort of looking along, and he came across this one soldier that was all meek and doesn't look right the way he's dressed, and, 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 and he was just very timid and passive. And, 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 and Alexander stops, and he looks at him, and he says, Soldier, what's your name? And very wimpery like Alexander. I mean, of all names, his name was Alexander. And he said, what is your name? And very passively and timidly, even more quiet this time, Alexander. And he said, son, look at me. Change your ways or change your name. We're going to share a name. You're not going to be a wimp. You see? Be who you are. Walk out this door with that phrase in your head. Yes, I am. You see? The, the, being called a Christian warrants a way of life that, 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 that glorifies God because we're so obsessed with Him. You see? So Paul says, walk in a manner worthy, chapter 5, our passage. What do you mean, Paul? Walk with wisdom. Now these overlap, these four walks, explaining chapter 4, verse 1, the worthy walk. They overlap, but what is he talking about here? We're going to study that in just a minute. The, the reflexive answer might be, we think as Americans, Westerners, being smart on how to handle daily stuff. Be wise. Good with people. Uh, and all that comes is true, and it's important, and it is a definition of wisdom, but it's down the line a little bit. And you'll see those things in Proverbs. It's good. But there is a parent concept that Paul is trying to, to give here. He's trying to give the broadest understanding of, of the word wisdom. And you see the word foolishness there or unwise. He's trying to give us the broad answer before these specifics. What's he trying to say? Well, show me Deuteronomy chapter 4. Let's go back in the Bible and look and see what he's trying to say. Deuteronomy 4, 5, and 6. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, says Moses. This is all new. We're meeting God. Here's the plan from God, the commandments, the statutes. Just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. Here it is. What is wisdom? So keep and do them. That is the commandments. For that is your wisdom and that is your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Wisdom is simply to embrace the, the, the plan, the will of God. Wisdom is simply to obey God, to, to take the Bible, the commandments of God, and, and apply them to, in total to your life. Paul wants to talk to us about embracing the totality of our faith. Look at Job 28. What does he mean, wisdom? And to man he said... Behold the fear of the Lord. That's wisdom. We're not talking about the practical specifics that Paul with Paul here. We're talking about the broadest understanding of what he means by wisdom when he says, listen, Christian Ephesians, you need to walk 
wisely. You need to walk in the fear of the Lord. You need to walk as if, because you are, as if you do fear God. That means your life ought to reflect the things of God. It's a broad understanding of what he's trying to say. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Before you go to anything practical about wisdom, the, the cornerstone of what wisdom is is that you fear God. You see? What's the opposite? Paul says, don't be unwise. Your Bible may say fools. What does the Bible define as a fool? These are Bible terms. Psalms 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. And he lives that way, as if there's no God. Remember, he's talking to Christians here. This is that idea of practical atheism. He's talking to Christians and don't live as if you believe there's no God. Let's say you, we, we don't live a secular life. We don't live a, a life of secular philosophy. That doesn't run our lives. The Word of God runs our lives. Okay, That's the foolish way we used to live. We're not that way anymore. Proverbs 14.9, how would you define unwise in Ephesians or, or a fool? They, they mock at sin, trivialize sin. Sin, they're apathetic. It just doesn't matter. It's just carefree. It's just... We don't take much thought to what's right versus what's wrong in the sight of God. That's the way the fool lives. In, in Romans chapter 1, Paul describes the, the world that is confronted with the gospel, that needs the gospel, and it says, professing to be wise, they became fools. They would not acknowledge God any longer, although they knew He was there, that he created, they had a basic understanding of his power and his might and his presence and his character. This is in Romans 1, verses 18 and following. They knew that, but they, professing to be wise, they became fools and would not acknowledge him. They just ignore him. That's what we did before we got saved. We just ignored him. And our life reflected that, didn't it? We paid no mind to God before we got saved. Back to Ephesians. So Paul is saying, what is he saying? Therefore, be careful how you walk, not this way, but that way. Verse 17, see the structure here. Not this way, but that way. Verse 18, not this way, but that way. There's the structure. There's the context. Let's get into this letter. Therefore, this paragraph. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as if you're an atheist but as someone who fears God and has reverence for the teachings and instructions of God. Not as someone who mocks at sin, but someone who takes sin seriously, you see? That's how you walk in a manner worthy of who you are, in keeping to who you are, to the standards of who you are. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Careful. Anybody have a King James Bible with them today? I have the old King James? No, oh, I've got one over here. Does it say circumspectly? That may have been old. You may have a newer one than that. It used to say circumspectly. This is a word that means what it sounds when you say it, what it sounds like. Okay? Circumspectly. With great care. 
very careful where your steps go. You ever watch a cat, a marvel at cats, their physical ability? You ever watch a cat sneak up on a, on a bird or something? On a nature program, watch a lion sneak up or a leopard sneak up on something? They are so careful even where each paw and when each paw goes and they get closer and they pause and they start to put a paw down and they pull it back and they crouch and they, they get them together and then they start wagging their hind end and they're about to go and then they'll look left and look right. You know, I wonder what they're doing. You wonder if they're praised, not seeing them, and they go, you know, like they're whistling. Duh, 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 you know, and they just act like nothing's going on. And then suddenly they're back on it. What a great picture of what it means to walk with great care. Watch carefully, is literally what it says, how you conduct yourself. Making sure you're wise, Christian, distinctly Christian, totally Christian, obsessively Christian. Be very careful is what this word, literally it means exactness, with exactness. Be accurate with your steps, your thoughts, what you look at, what you decide on. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as a fool, your old lifestyle, but as a wise man. The whole idea of embracing the totality of your faith. Now, he's going to help us understand further what walking in wisdom means. Walk, the modifier in verse 16, making the most of your time. Be careful how you to walk wisely, making the most of your time. See the flow there? It actually is the, it says, it doesn't say your time, it says the time. But it's a great translation to make it your in the English. Paul was obsessed with the time. Not the times, plural, the time. Meaning his allotted days on the earth. Paul was very much focused and, 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 and what, tuned in to the fact that he had a limited number, a finite number of days that God put him on this earth. At the end of 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, my course is finished. It doesn't say my course, it says the course, but he's talking about himself, so it's right to translate it my course. Here it says the time, it's correct to say your time. You have a certain number of days that you're here. Make the most of it. Literally it says in the margin of your Bible, probably redeeming the time. The idea of going to the marketplace and you say, you look at something on the shelf and they say, would you like some of that? And they say, yeah, how much do you want? I want it all. I want all my time. I'm, I'm buying it all up. I don't want to waste anything. I'm only here so long. David said there are a certain number of days that were selected for me to live. I was assigned to be here and it happened before I was even born. God sovereignly placed you somewhere for a certain amount of days. Here in this church, in this community, in your school, in your office, in your neighborhood, whatever. That's what it means to live wisely. That's what it means to embrace the totality of the Christian faith. Don't leave God out of any category of your life. You're trying to think, why am I not getting anywhere with my faith? Are there some areas of your life 
that God is not a part of, that you're not even thinking about, or maybe you're avoiding Him on certain categories of life. Paul is talking about wisdom as in the whole encompassing Christian faith. Live like a Christian, not like your old self, an unbeliever, by making the most of your time. Because, what does he say? Verse 16, this is an evil day. He's just got finished describing verses 3 to 14, an ugly culture in Ephesus. The debauchery in Ephesus was off the scale, and he's saying you can't go back to that. You realize they were in it. He said you can't go back to that. That's your old way. These days are evil. We're not living that way anymore. Make the most of your opportunity to do what? In a dark culture, to bring glory to God. We're back to chapter 1. Why were you saved? To bring glory to God. 3.10, why are we here? To make known the manifold wisdom of God. In public, out living out loud who we are. And speaking when it's time to speak. At all times living the way we're supposed to live. You see? In general, Paul is saying the wise way to live, to live, to walk in a manner that's worthy of, of being called a Christian, is to, is to make the most of your time and bring glory to God as in every possible way that you can, recognizing you're always beaming something of a revelation or knowledge about being a Christian everywhere you go, every action, every reaction at all times. That's how we live. That's the wise life. That's the totally Christian life. Now look at Colossians chapter 4. He's general in Ephesus, but in the twin letter, not an identical twin, but very, very close, Colossian letter, we see the same phrase and he drills down on it. Maybe, maybe not. Both letters are to carry this idea. I think so. He's more specific here. Conduct yourself with wisdom. See that? Actually what it says is walk with wisdom. Same phrase, identical, Ephesians 5. Toward, now he adds something. Over there he said in the evil day, here he says toward outsiders. Who are outsiders? Those who don't know Christ. Those who are desperately needing God's mercy. Making the most of your opportunity. Making the most of the time turned into an idiom. and It's very proper in that culture to call it your opportunity. Instead of the time, they would translate it the opportunity. Making the most of the time, the opportunity. What opportunity? Your 80 years on the planet, or whatever they may be. Is it just the way you live? It's exactly that. But let's go further. Verse 6. What is the impact of an angry culture on us? Is it silencing us? What does he say there? Making the most of your opportunity, let your speech always be with grace. We're not obnoxious, but we speak up. As though seasoned with salt, that you will know how you should respond to each person or outsider. Paul's saying back to Ephesians 5, walk with wisdom, meaning making, by making the most of your time. What does that mean? Bring glory to God on how you live, but how you talk. Giving the gospel. 
giving the gospel to people. Explain to them the hope that is in you, Peter says, ready at all times. That's what it means to live wisely. How do I make walk in a manner worthy of my calling? Live like a Christian, ready to share the gospel because I live in a dangerous day for the glory of God at all times. Verse 17. Here's the second but then, and we'll run through this quickly. So then, what do I mean by unwise? Don't be foolish. What do I mean by being wise? Verse 17, understand what the will of the Lord is. He's drilling down on those two points. This is not the same word, asophia, unwise. This, this word foolish actually means same family of thought, but it means mindlessness, without thought, forethought, without standards, principles, convictions. You see? Don't be a mindless, just sort of bebopping through life without living off a plan, a game, a game plan, a playbook. Don't be someone who just walks around with no, with no conviction, no principles that govern your life. Instead, the very opposite for a Christian is to understand what are your principles, your playbook, understand what the will of the Lord is, all the details of the will of God. To walk wisely is to live obsessed with what's in this book. It's not academics, folks. You study the Bible long enough and you'll see it's saying in 2 Corinthians 3, well, Paul parallels the opening of your Bible, the Jews being called to the burning mountain of God to hear God talk. And don't dare walk up the mountain, tell them to stay at the bottom, Moses, you and Joshua come up. It was a moment to display His holiness and to say, I'm talking and I'm saying there's a way to live and you and I have a relationship now, God says, in Exodus, uh, whatever it was, 33, 34. And Paul makes the connection in 2 Corinthians saying, when you open your Bible, it's like standing on the mountain of God. This is not academics, folks. This is an, an event when you open your Bible. It's an encounter. There's a person on the other side of this, as it were. You see? To live wisely, to live like a Christian, is to be obsessed with the will of God. Not being foolish, mindless, just carefree and la-di-da with no thought about how am I living? What does God have for me? To be God-centered. To be God-centered is to be Bible-centered. Because this is the authoritative, inerrant Word of God. You see? This is what it means to live walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling. Verse 18, now hey, this is left field. And don't get drunk with wine. Well, why are we talking about drinking? That's a distraction, right? We could talk all day. Should we, shouldn't we? How much? A little bit? That's not what he's talking about here, okay? He's drilling down on unwise by saying, for example, don't be drunk with wine. That's just, see that word dissipation? That's just a waste. It's actually dangerous. It can lead to debauchery. Your Bible may have that word. But the core idea he's think, I think he's saying here is to live, to live like a fool or, or as if God doesn't exist and mocking sin and trivial, trivializing the spiritual things means don't be mindless and, and don't try to advance your faith in a pagan way. 
Well, what do I mean by that? The mystery religions and the pagan religions of that day were facilitated by drunkenness. Did you know that? They would gather together in, in, in very, very public ways and sometimes very dark and, and, and private ways to worship their God and the way they believe that you commune with your God is to be completely uninhibited by being radically drunk. They might even use some sort of drug to cause this sort of mesmerization, this trance. And by being so open and completely divorced of, of your mental faculties, that God would enter into you and, and, and take you where he wanted to go, which obviously the reason we got dissipation, meaning also debauchery, is because that led you into vice. And in fact, vice, immorality, was part of their mystical worship services. So Paul's saying the mindlessness of the drunkenness, that, that, that's, that's just a waste of time, dissipation. It's just a waste. It can lead to vice. It often does. But instead, a mind that's wise and understanding the will of God is putting himself in a position. When you saturate your mind understanding the will of God, you put yourself in a position where you can be being continually, moment by moment, filled with the Holy Spirit. They go together. We don't have time to develop that, but that's what the Bible teaches. If you will become a student of the book, if you'll become immersed in learning God and getting to know God and listening to Him talk to you through Scripture, then that allows the Holy Spirit to do what we all want, to be live a Spirit-filled life. The word filled there means controlled. It was a maritime word. It means what does a rudder do to a boat? It steers it. What does a wind do to a boat? When it fills a sail, it propels it through the water. Be filled and navigated and controlled at all times, moment by moment, with the Holy Spirit. This is the wise life. This is what happens when you live obsessed with understanding the will of God, sitting at the feet of the God all the time with an open Bible. You become a, you just become, honestly. It's a commandment here, but you just become, I think by, almost by reflex, a spirit-filled Christian. Because when he changes your mind and saturates your mind with spiritual truth, obviously he wrote the book, right? The Spirit wrote the Bible. He helps you understand it. He creates the filling as you respond to it, as you saturate yourself with it. This is the wise life. Listen, are you living unfulfilled? I, I got to do more. Well, are you living as a practical atheist? Is it possible that you've got categories of life that are outside God's purview, that you're just not involving Him? Are you embracing in totality the Christian faith? Do you feel like you're wasting your life? Should you from time to time ask that question? Absolutely. Are you living, making the most of your time? That's what it means to walk in wisdom. That was, that's the worthy walk. God is the centerpiece, and, and I want to bring glory to Him for glory's sake, but I want to be glory to Him to draw people to Christ with my life. I only have so much time. Do you feel like the angry culture is, is marginalizing you? Is it having that effect? Walk wisely. Embrace the totality of your faith. Go public with your faith. 
Live out loud. Be articulate. Not obnoxious, but be boldly articulate about the truth of God. Ready for the moment, whatever that may be. Let's pray.